yeah, let's talk about the trauma. Let's not just talk about the behavior that is caused by the trauma and deal with the behavior. Let's talk about the trauma itself. And so going back to the root of things is really what I'm passionate about and connecting that to who you are. Trauma is not just a bunch of symptoms, for example. It also will impact your sense of identity, your mm -hmm. sense of meaning, your sense of purpose. And so for me, it's a very holistic um, picture that I'm trying to gain in a very honest and vulnerable picture that I'm trying to gain. And so that I think might seem like a different path, <laughs> but I don't think it is. I just think that as psychology, we have overcorrected to some extent. And lately we've become very obsessed with getting results quickly, mm -hmm. fixing people, quote unquote, and not really allowing them to sit with what's happening with them and not allowing them. I'm Doug Bobst, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please, sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobes, and today I have an extremely special guest. And I'm ex extraordinarily honored to have her on. I have Sarah Kubrick on, who is a Canadian certified counselor and is a trauma-informed clinician with a person-centered approach that is grounded in existential analysis as well as somatic and experiential techniques. She specializes in areas of trauma and abuse, identity relationships with self, others, life transitions, and anxiety. And something that really separates her from others um, is that she uses humor to kind of cope and get through trauma. And many of you know her as the millennial therapist on, Insta on Instagram, where she has built quite a following and just should be super proud of herself. So Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for the lovely introduction and for inviting me on your show. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm super excited to have you and chat with you. And we were talking a bit about um, before the show on like the fact that what I love about you uh, is you have taken this different approach to therapy, this different approach to healing that is kind of like a little bit off the beaten path in a way, right? It's not traditional, and because of that, I think a lot of people are drawn to you, and your content has gone kind of viral. So, like, talk a bit about like. Why, what, what, what like really got you into this approach of therapy and why you think it's like the future of healing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that as a young clinician or even in grad school, you're presented with so many different therapeutic modalities and it can become really overwhelming to select something. Um, and there is mainstream modalities such as CBT, for example. Um, and you're taught all these things. And for me, what was really important was that, and what I've been taught in my graduate program, I was very fortunate is to pick something that truly resonates with you, that mm -hmm. truly moves you. And that actually goes with your personality and your character because how one person would perform, um, or use a tool from a particular modality will look very different depending on your personality. And that's something that they realized that the most effective therapies, the therapists really lived out the way that they actually approached their client and that it really personally resonated with them. And I think when you find that combination, it makes a really huge difference. 
I don't think it's necessarily about picking what is the best modality. It's finding that really resonant uh, connection between the therapist and the modality. And so for me, it was a lot of, um, you know, I started in neuroscience really initially, which is so far from where I've ended up, which is now this existential approach to mental health. And so that was a really interesting journey for me because I found value along the way in all the different things I've been taught, but it wasn't until I kind of stumbled upon existential analysis where he actually personally spoke to me. And I found it so incredibly transformational that I began to live out of that kind of approach and the things that I taught. And so I think that that makes a big difference in having other people resonate with you because there's this authenticity and genuineness that comes from that. And so for me, I needed a theory that spoke deeply to me, that spoke spiritually to me, existentially to me. Um, and I think that's what I found in existential therapy. Yeah. And I think, you know, you bring up a really fascinating point. Um, and that I think it's extremely, it will resonate with a lot of people that you pretty much have derived your approach to things based on your own experience, your own journey, what feels right to you, instead of like what a piece of paper might tell you, or instead of what a book might tell you, which I think is powerful, because I think when we can really align who we truly are with our purpose and what we want to do, like things just start to flow naturally, right? And, you know, we were talking, you know, about like, sometimes when, you know, you try to, to create a new method of something, how you can get a lot of pushback. And I talked about like how, I believe that fitness and nutrition should be the staple of every drug recovery program there is, no matter what it is, no matter what addiction you're going through. And then we were also talking about how like yours is kind of a little bit off, you know, off, off the record a little bit, just cause it's so new. Like it's like this approach is like most people, when they think of therapy, they think of like going into a therapy's a therapist's office and just complaining about all the problems in their life, which is venting. Right. Which mm-hmm. I'm not judging anybody who does. I've definitely been that person as well. But I think what we're finding is that that approach is kind of in the past. So talk a bit about the difference between traditional therapy and what and the quote unquote millennial therapist approach and how you really have to dig deep in the trauma and the events that occur in people's lives to help them truly heal. Yeah, so I don't think anything I don't think anything I'm doing is particularly uh, unheard of right i just think the psychology comes in waves mm. and we had a behavioral wave a cognitive wave a psychoanalytical wave and i think that what i'm doing that might seem very novel but in reality is just me going backwards a couple steps connecting more to the psychoanalytical psychodynamic aspect of it um and I feel like we as a society have become so obsessed with quick solutions Mm. and a lot of coping and we want to see results immediately. And so we started um, providing clients with modalities that would give them quick results, quote unquote, but that didn't actually deal with the in-depth issues. They gave you something to, you know, handle your anxiety on a daily basis, which is really important, but they never stop to go, why do you have this anxiety in the first place? What is the deep rooted issue here that we're missing? And so when it comes to my, my way of approaching psychotherapy is just a lot of awareness. Honestly, that is all I preach is 
awareness and radical honesty and looking at parts of ourselves that feel broken and that feel, I'm very careful with the words I select here, but just being very, very aware of the things that we don't want to be aware of. And that's the whole, when you talk about trauma, yeah, let's talk about the trauma. Let's not just talk about the behavior that is caused by the trauma and deal with the behavior. Let's talk about the trauma itself. And so going back to the root of things is really what I'm passionate about and connecting that to who you are. Trauma is not just a bunch of symptoms, for example. It also will impact your sense of identity, your Mm -hmm. sense of meaning, your sense of purpose. And so for me, it's a very holistic um, picture that I'm trying to gain and a very honest and vulnerable picture that I'm trying to gain. And so that I think might seem like a different path, <laughs> but I don't think it is. I just think that as psychology, we have overcorrected to some extent. And lately we've become very obsessed with getting results quickly, mm-hmm. fixing people, quote unquote, and not really allowing them to sit with what's happening with them and not allowing them to sit in the discomfort. We're not there to make clients feel comfortable all the time. That is not the point of therapy. Uh, sometimes there is a lot of discomfort in growth. And so when we try to avoid the discomfort, I think we limit the growth. Yeah. And you just made a post about that. I think it was what today Mm. or yesterday about growth, right? Right. And, and you're right. I think, you know, in order to see where a behavior is coming from, there's got to be an underlying cause and it's going to be painful sometimes to sit in that. But I think the only way um, to heal pain is kind of through it in a way, right. And to sit in it. And because I know from my own experience, we were talking a little bit about it before the show, Anytime I've tried to push away pain or just say, you know what, this is not something I want to deal with. I don't want to say it's hurt me. That's not the right word because it's obviously taught me different lessons, but it's definitely blocked my growth. It's definitely blocked my ability to move past some of the things Mm -hmm. in the quote unquote um, realm of healing. So what does the work look like? So like, we'll use me as an example. So I'll just say like, for someone like me, I've suffered um, a lot of abuse growing up. I grew up in a super dysfunctional household. My parents got divorced. I was bullied in school. And what I've noticed is that what I noticed is in my early 20s, I found myself lost. I thought I had it all together. I just beaten drug addiction. um, And I had been um, in recovery for about five years, but I still had this image of, of this fat dog as a kid. I still had this image of a, of a kid who was being abused. I wasn't confident with myself. I wasn't confident with, with where I was going. And I was able to then go through a lot of therapy and do a lot of trauma work on like where that all came from to understand where it was. And it's not like today I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm perfect by all means. I'm not, I think the journey always continues and there's always going to be things to pop up. And part of growth is awareness and knowing that you have to continue to do the work on yourself. So with that being said, like what kind of things, if I was a client of yours, would, would you have me do to kind of work on the traumatic experiences I went through as a kid that are coming up that have came up in my adult life? Quite the question there. (laughs) (laughs) Way to ask the easy questions today. Um, I think p- the first part of it is understanding what actually happened to you and what that means for you. So 
being very honest about your experience, accepting the experience, being aware of the narrative that was now constructed because of your experience. And what narrative are you really playing with? Mm. What is it limiting you? Is it nurturing you? Is it hurting you? Um, and I think that having that very clear foundation is so important. Whenever I have clients come in, I take almost three sessions to do an intake. Three sessions, and these are longer sessions than normal. And that's almost four hours just to understand your story. And it's partially for me, but it's partially just for you. We need to understand where, where it's all coming from and what your narrative is, because that is the subjective reality we're working with. And that's what we're trying to hold and honor and then see if we can restructure. So there is a part of therapy that's deconstruction and then there is reconstruction. And so, but for either of those parts to begin, you first need to know what you're working with. So I think that that's really important. And I think that um, existentially speaking, we target four areas in people's lives. So there's a piece of like safety, for example, in therapy is huge, but it's not just about, are you safe in your new context, but is there inner safety? How do you build this thing called inner safety? And so we work a lot about, can you actually exist in your circumstances? Do you feel like you have space to be yourself? Are you, are you safe? And then, you know, we'll go to the next pillar, which we call, um, and we will deal with are you connecting to your values in your life, to the relationships mm. in your life? The third one is, do you have permission to show up who you are? And do you even know who you are? And the third one is purpose and meaning in life. And so existentially speaking, it's a bit structured, which is really nice because you're working with the individual holistically and where, where the body comes in, that would be the very first safety piece of like, Inner safety also has a lot to do with how your physical body functions. Uh, with trauma, there's a lot of hyperarousal. Um, mm. What are some ways to deal with that? It's exercise, it's nutrition, it's hydration. And so these are the things that we also target because I will often say, you know, we can journal till the cows come home. Unless you're taking care of your physical body, you might not see much of a difference. There has to be, there will be awareness, but there has to be this foundation, which is also our physical body and our mind and nutrition also impacts our mind. And so this is something that we will work on more holistically as well when I um, walk people through trauma recovery. You're speaking my language. I absolutely freaking love this because... Gosh, I mean, fitness, nutrition, your physical health, it's so important. And I remember like my grandparents when I was a kid, they were like, always remember your physical health and mental health go hand in hand. I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. And I, <laughs> and then like now I know like if I'm not physically healthy, whether I'm sick or if I'm um, just got like an ailment in my shoulder, my hip or what, I'm mentally, my game is off too, right? Mm -hmm. And the same thing um, is to be said for, um, if your mental health is off, you know, there might be something physically, it goes the other way. And I was actually, somebody was asking me about the importance of physical health today. And here's something that's interesting is there's, I think that there's four pillars of your health. There's spiritual health, there's physical health, there's your emotional health, and there's, there's your mental health. You can be mentally, spiritually, and um, emotionally fit and not be physically fit. But if you're, but your, but your physical fitness can improve those other three areas, right? So that's just the, mm -hmm. the empowerment of that. And I'm sure you tell your clients very similar things that I would. You don't have to go out and work out for two, three hours. You don't have to go to the gym. 
going for a 20 minute walk or it's the for a 10 minute walk every single day. It's just the commitment that you're making to yourself that honoring your body and that you're showing yourself enough love to say, you know what? Today, I am loving myself enough to block out 20, 30 minutes in my day to take care of my body so that I can then, you know, prepare myself to, you know, you know, move on without my day. And if nothing else good happens today, at least I can tell myself that, that I worked out. So, um, I guess with that being said, are, are you a fitness person? Do you, do you enjoy exercising? Do you enjoy getting out and, um, and working out yourself? Yeah. I do. I, um, I'm, I'm chuckling because if this was like five years ago, I would be like, uh, not so much, but I do it. I think I've grown in appreciation of, of exercise, the more mm-hmm. I've grown in appreciation of my own body. Right. And like what you just said really spoke to me. It is, it's, it's a way to show commitment and love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the more I've grown in commitment and love that, relationship to working out has changed it's no longer a chore it's something I get to do something I enjoy it's the way I actually connect to my own body and it's a very intimate and personal experience and I love that and so I think that I've always you know I've done gymnastics and dance and I've been kind of like a gym person Mm. pretty much my whole life but I think my actual relationship to working out has drastically changed maybe in the last I don't know, 10 years, eight years. And, um, it's been a really beautiful thing. I think we sometimes forget we don't just have our bodies. We are our bodies. We almost feel like a treat it like a separate entity. Like, ugh, I'm doing this for you. Not realizing like, no, you're doing this for yourself. And I think that once we have that realization, there's a beautiful shift that takes place. Yeah. And I think what you just said, you know, is, is something that's extremely important and it's vulnerability. You know, you just got on here and you were talking about like how the importance of physical health and exercise for your clients. And then you said, you know, if you had asked me five years ago, I would have told you a a totally different um, answer than I am now. And that is like where a lot of growth really happens is the ability to um, be secure with yourself enough that you could openly admit something that, I mean, you may not be proud, whatever, but you're like, you know what, today I am. And today I see the value in it and the whole self-love thing. And I think that's a lot, that's a big part of growth is when you're able to admit something you're not proud of, or you're not afraid of what other people are going to think of something like that. That You're like, you know Mm -hmm. what, I'm going to say it. And I got asked today, um, I was being interviewed on a show and somebody was like, Hey, like, when were you really comfortable with letting go of what people thought of you. And I said, Mm -hmm. "Hmm." because people pleasing, I think is a a big issue with many people. Even today, there's a lot of chameleons out there that just want to fit in with this person, fit in with that person. And they end up um, trying things because for for other people's approval. And then when they fail, there's shame around it. Not just because of the failure, but because they're like, I shouldn't have done that. I didn't want to do that in the first place. And so as a result of all that, there's a lot of unhappiness because people aren't really truly connected to themselves. And the reason I'm bringing this up is as a teenager in my early adulthood, I was doing things to please so many other people. And I was so afraid of what other people would think based on what I would, what I was doing. And when it stopped for me, I can remember the moment was when I admitted to one of my personal training clients that I was a convicted felon. And that's how I got into fitness was in jail. Mm -hmm. And what it did was, somehow, I don't know if it was the universe, God, whatever, put this thought in my head. And it was like, Doug, like 
the people who are meant to be in your life will be in your life no matter how, no matter no matter what like and the more openly you share and stay connected to yourself you attract the right people and that was when i really stopped caring about what other people thought and it's not to say that i don't accept criticism or i don't accept opinions of others cuz i do but i'm not afraid to to share about my story openly on social media i'm not doing things for other people's approval and it takes a lot of work to work through a lot of that pain. So, um, and the reason I, I bring this up is because I want to kind of get into, there's some buzzwords, right? That you see a lot in modern day Instagram. There's the, um, the, the word like people pleasing, gaslighting, um, boundaries, the inner child, right? So you don't have to go into too much detail, but maybe if you could provide the audience, it's just like a few, few points on like what each of those is, because people hear these terms and they're not familiar with them and they just, they just have no idea like what to think. And if it's, isn't being impacted on their end, like maybe like walk us through a bit if you can. Sure. Um, I will try to remember, um, the words they use. So people pleasing, um, that's a very, big topic and i think it's a bit cultural as well Mm. i think um, people get applauded for putting other people's needs before their own Mm. um and i think there's something um toxic in the way that we perceive self-care as selfish and i think people pleasing is the result of that and Mm. so um i think people pleasing is also the result of us not accepting and loving ourselves enough that we try to outsource that and get it from other people. And so the, I guess the brief definition would be trying to get the approval of other people, regardless of the sacrifice that you're making to do that. Um, And oftentimes it's way too big of a sacrifice. And the things that we're essentially yearning for is things that we can not always, but partially offer ourselves or do it in a much, much healthier way. Um, and so I hope that that gives some understanding on people pleasing. Did you want yeah. more on each? No, like? <laughs> no, that, no. Cause I just wanted to cover like some buzzwords that like, I mean, they're, they're, they're thrown yeah. out a lot and people might not really understand it from like, act like what it really is. Cause people will mm. hear these and be like, Oh, like, what does it mean? If I'm, what does people pleasing mean? Does that mean I'm just like, I, does it mean that if I say no to something or if I say yes, I'm automatically a people pleaser? Like, no, it doesn't. No, so, no, it doesn't. And then, and then another one obviously is gaslighting. That's something that's very big now because we're seeing um, the mental health um, aspects on how it impacts us. So like talk a bit about like, if you can like describe gaslighting in a few sentences, like, and and how to like know if you are being gaslighted. So (laughs) being aware of being gaslighted is incredibly difficult. Mm. Um, incredibly incredibly difficult because there's a reason they got the name gaslighting it's not an obvious thing that Mm. that occurs especially when it's an intimate relationship Um, it can be even harder and it's essentially a dynamic a relationship dynamic that's become toxic with Mm. one individual um manipulating the dynamic the context to such an extent that the victim has a really hard time connecting to themselves Mm. connecting to their reality um acknowledging their reality even um and they often end up suffering in terms of other relationships because he actually isolates the person as well 
And so um, gaslighting can be incredibly dangerous because this person doesn't know it's happening. It's kind of like the frog in the boiling water, um, but it, it can be incredibly detrimental because what's happening is psychological abuse, coercion, manipulation, um, which no, can now when you say the person like when you say the person doesn't know what's happening, does it you mean the person who is being gaslighted or the person who's actually doing it? Sorry. The person who's being gaslighted. Okay. Um, sometimes the person who's gaslighting arguably might not understand <laughs> to what extent they're doing it. Um, and this is like a debated topic, but what I meant was the person who is being gaslighted oftentimes doesn't understand it or doesn't understand the full implication of like, yeah, this is a bit off. But they're not convinced enough that it's so harmful that they actually need to leave. Uh, sometimes just direct abuse can be a bit more um, salient and snap them out of it. Um, although even, you know, leaving abusive relationships is incredibly difficult. Yeah. Uh, but gaslighting makes that even harder because it's more inconspicuous somehow. Yeah, I mean, and you're right. And I think being somebody who, I mean, I've been fortunate to read a lot about um, this stuff because I, I grew up in a dysfunctional home. I mean, I suffered a lot of abuse, so I had to do a lot of research on what this meant because I wanted to like under, be able to understand more. Mm -hmm. And I guess in the simplest form of what I understand it to be is like your perception of the other person's trying to um, get your perception of reality, be totally off for you not to be able to free for them, for you to think like that the situation isn't what it really is, even though you know that's the way the situation really is the way it Absolutely. really is, right? You're like, did that really happen? They said it didn't happen. They said they didn't say this word to me. They said that they didn't make this plan. They right, said right. that they didn't yell. And you're like, oh my God, like, is something wrong with me? Am I not remembering this correctly? Yes, yeah. So that's another one that I think it's brought up a lot, boundaries. That's another one, the third one. Um, it's okay. everywhere. And um, and again, for those who are listening, the reason I'm bringing these up is because there's a lot of adversity that comes in mental health. There's a lot of adversity that comes in situations where, you know, you're people pleasing or maybe you're in a situation where you're being gaslighted or, you know, you're having trouble with respecting your own boundaries. Somebody, I'm, I am not the best at boundary, at respecting my own boundary. And I've learned this, um, mm. you know. I, th I thought I was okay at it. And then like you sometimes just realize that you're not. And, you know, I think it's just, you know, it's something that's I'm aware of and I've been aware of. And it's like the ability to continue to work on it is, is something I'm extremely passionate about. So talk about like what boundaries are and then maybe like a way to set a healthy boundary. That's mm. not like, don't do this or don't do, cause that's not really a boundary. It's more like, you know, it can come across as like more like, mm. Mm -hmm. like a dictator in a way. So like, you know, talk a bit about that. We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I take every day, either in my coffee or in a smoothie. It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. 
So go to earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobes. Again, earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobes. Check it out for yourself and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. For sure. So I think boundaries are guidelines mm. that help us protect our needs um, while simultaneously um, nurturing connections with others. Mm. Now, it doesn't mean that the connection is going to be a close one, but it's going to be a healthier one, which means boundaries sometimes do actually require distance. Mm. But you get to determine what kind of connection you want and what proximity I suppose you want while maintaining health, while maintaining mental health, while respecting that relationship, while respecting yourself. And so it's not so much about boundaries will look different for everyone in every context. That's okay. But what's important is the, what is your motivation and intention behind a boundary and a boundary, I think inherently its intention is to fulfill our needs and to connect to others in a healthy way. And I think when it comes to boundaries, it's important to talk about yourself to say, you know, I feel uncomfortable when you bring up the fact that I lost my job. If you continue to do this, I'm not going to want to have these conversations with mm. you. It's not about threatening. It's not about ultimatums. It's essentially saying, Hey, I need you to be more empathetic. This is another way you can do that. Hey, I need you to show me a bit more compassion for what I'm going through, or it's going to become really unhealthy for me to engage in these conversations. Ultimately, boundaries is really about us. You're not trying to control them. That is not the motivation behind a boundary. Mm. You're telling them, this is what I need. And if you cross this boundary and, and threaten my need, this is where I'm going to have to have a consequence. Mm. And that's what I think people forget. Boundaries are not about manipulation of the other. It's literally just trying to respect yourself and respect the, respect the relationship. And you're giving them a blueprint. You're saying, hey, for us to have a healthy relationship, this is what I need for myself to do. And this is what I'm asking of you to do. Can you do this? And it's such a beautiful way. It's not a wall. It's not isolation. It's literally a collaboration of like, I want to have a healthy relationship with you. And this is how I propose we do it. Yes. Yes. Because I think at the end of the day, you know, talking together about boundaries, talking together about needs, talking together about values, having that conversation of like, okay, this is what I need. And this, and then, you know, listening and then the other person being like, this is what I need. And then coming together as a collective and gaining understanding will help, um, will help in the future for people respecting each other's boundaries. Cause otherwise what will happen is there's, there's no conversation. There's no hard, you know, cause it's not, it's not comfortable to have these conversations. Yeah. Then boundaries will get violated left and right because there hasn't been any establishment of, what's healthy for each individual. So I love the way you put that. It's not an ultimatum. It's not about control. It's like, Hey, this is what I'm feeling. Like I need you to be more empathetic, you know, when I'm talking about this situation or, you know, mm -hmm. I need you to really like actively like listen more when I'm trying to tell you about X, Y, and Z. And yeah. then if they give you pushback, be like, you know, I understand that that's where you're coming from. Just know that 
I'm going to have a hard time opening up to you if this, if this continues. Right. Yeah. And, and then like the hard thing is sticking to that. Right. So, Oh um, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> so, um, and so we talked about people pleasing, we talked about gaslighting. We talked about boundaries. Um, the fourth one is inner child. And I know that is something that's thrown around a lot these days like every it's everywhere um inner child work inner child and i know it goes back from my understanding and i'll give my understanding and you can kind of tell me if i'm right or wrong is wounds that were created as a during your childhood during the developmental stages that caused um some sort of have, have caused childlike responses in your adulthood not like Hmm. I, not like temper tantrums well maybe temper tantrums right Although sometimes yeah <laughs> right but maybe it's a response to a trigger or something that's been um come up in a common situation that has reminded you of your childhood that you haven't maybe truly worked on or healed my am, am i am i anywhere close to right of course yeah no that's great it's really um childhood experiences that didn't fulfill a need um, while we were a child, then now we're reenacting as adults. Mm. And sometimes we're triggered in the exact same way, and we will actually react childlike. Sometimes that is a tantrum, whatever that looks like for an adult. Um, and so we are trying to fulfill these needs oftentimes um, in our adult life without realizing there are a need or that we're doing it in a very unproductive or harmful kind of way. The one thing about uh, inner child that I think is important to mention is it's not always negative. Inner child and the wounded inner child are not the same thing mm. because there's something very beautiful about our inner child. Our inner child is where our intuition stems. It's where our creativity stems. It's where our playfulness stems. And so I think that this dialogue, it's important to decipher between the two terms so that we don't resist the childlike qualities that are actually really fantastic and that we're likely to lose touch with as adults that maybe we shouldn't. And so your inner child can also be a very beautiful um, thing that we connect to, but we need to decipher the wounds from, you know, the intuition. Yeah. And I think, I appreciate you saying that because I think you're right. I think our inner child and, our internal voice in that sense does bring out a lot of phenomenal things, a lot of blessings, a lot of, 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 um, healing, um, tactics and tricks that can help us continue to evolve in a positive way, just as much as the, the other, the other part of it, which, you know, we talk about the wounds and everything. So, you know, the one thing I wanted to kind of get into too is that therapy has been very stigmatized for a long time. Couples there. I mean, somebody says, Oh, we're going to couples therapy. For instance, it's like, Oh, like, man, they're having, the person might say, Oh, they're having problems or why are they doing that? Um, then if somebody says, you know what, I've decided to go to therapy, I need help. You know, people have looked down on that. I will say it does seem that it's gotten a lot better. Um, mm -hmm. But with that being said, what, why do you think so many people are, They'll, they're, they're willing to, if they have high blood pressure, they'll take, you know, Lipitor or a drug for it. If they uh, tore their ACL, they'll get surgery. But why are people so against like admitting that they're like going mm -hmm. to therapy or that if they're in a relationship or they're married, that they're going to couples therapy? Like what, from a therapist perspective, like what's your take on it? I think it's primarily shame. Mm. 
And I think there's something very different about being able to identify a physiological reason where you say, my arm is not working properly. Mm. Uh, my body, my antibodies are not working as they should. But we can't identify anything other than us when, we, right. when it comes to therapy. And then what happens is we go, we're not functioning. We're broken. And that induces a lot of shame because now it's no longer a part of us we have to work on, which is so much easier to, to label when it's physiological. We go there's something wrong with me. And mm. then that's a new level of shame. Um, I think now that we're learning and kind of sharing vocabulary more, um, more explicitly, such as boundaries, someone might say, hey, I'm going to therapy to work on boundaries. I think that will induce less shame than just saying, I'm going to therapy because I'm depressed. I need to fix all of this, yeah, you know? Yeah. 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 And so I, I think that the more vocabulary we have about it, we'll be able to kind of identify different things we're working on. And that might actually lessen some of that shame that's experienced. Uh, because right now what we're doing when we say we are going to therapy, we're identifying as someone who is broken or weak. Yes. And I think you you said something that struck with me is that having a specific reason in mind to go to therapy will help, I guess, break the shame and the stigma in a way, right? Because otherwise, like, you're leaving. I mean, and again, we, we talked earlier about, like, dropping what other people think. But mm-hmm. if that's, like, what we're worried about and that's where the shame and stigma comes from is, like, the whole, like, well, what is the world going to think of me? Like, mm-hmm. being like, hey, I'm going to therapy because I really care about the health of our relationship and we want to be proactive and making sure that we are – you know, being able to, to provide a safe space for each of us to communicate, or I want to go to therapy because I've noticed that, you know, my boundaries have fallen apart and I need someone to help hold me accountable to be able to communicate them. Then you change the the, the, the conversation instead of it being like, you know, I'm going, Oh, I need to go to therapy. And then they're like, Oh gosh, here we go again. Right. And yeah, right? exactly. And there is something vulnerable about, our inner world Mm. that can't be compared to issues of our external world. And that's, we always need to honor that and respect them that realize the saying, I'm going to a therapist might always feel a bit more vulnerable because it is as intimate as you can get with yourself opposed to physiological issues. And so part of it is okay. And we just need to learn to grow in that discomfort. But I do think that vocabulary will will change and destigmatize the process hopefully and change that conversation significantly. Yeah. And I think, um, it's something that I've been very open about. I know there's a lot of people that are open about going to therapy because they're almost like owning it and being like very proud to say, and that's part of healing, right. Is being secure enough with yourself to say, you know what? Like I don't have it all together. As a matter of fact, like most people I know don't have it all together and having having a therapist, having someone to bounce things off of, having somebody to hold you accountable and like keep you in check and being like, hey, like, you know, in the future, if you want your relationship to get better, you might not want to respond that way. Or, hey, mm-hmm. like, if you want to improve the way that you talk to yourself, here's some things you can do. And then it and then it creates this whole different conversation because now it's like, OK, like you're using it as a way to not fix yourself but to grow and evolve. And that's mm. where the conversation can really change because we're seeing what's, what's hot right now is personal growth. We're seeing 
spiritual development, personal, all this stuff is like on the up and up. And that's mm-hmm. why I think having the conversations like you're, you're starting is important because you're changing the com- you're changing the dynamic of in which we talk about healing and trauma and therapy from a more proactive approach and being like okay mm-hmm. like how can we um, address the the root of what's going on and then enhance and evolve that by in the ways in which you're now changing the um, things you're doing to 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 manage all that stuff right so. Um, so the next thing I want to talk to you about is like, how is your approach with, you know, how do you tie in like humor with your clients? Because I know like, that's one of the things that when people mm. talk about therapy, they hear about therapy, they feel it's got to be this super serious thing. Like, oh man, I'm going in there. I'm closing the door. Like, let me make sure the sound machine's on so no one can hear what I'm saying. And mm. it's serious, right? Like. How do you bring humor into that? Um, I think I um, I resort to humor as part of healing and my own personal growth. Mm. And so I think because it's such a big part of my personality um, to just kind of find humor in things that comes out. And I think a big part of it is I don't believe therapists need to stifle themselves and be this blank wall of no expression. I don't, and that's definitely depends on the theory from which you practice, but I, I don't believe that to be true. And if the client says something that's funny, I will laugh. And sometimes if a client says something that's horrifying and they laugh, I will laugh because that is my authentic response. It is so bad that both of us are laughing because it's just, that's how we're choosing to honor it. And then we will dive in and go, okay, what did that laughter mean? What did it trigger for you? I'll tell you what went on for me. Um, mm. And really use it. And sometimes things are just funny. And I think that having humor and joy in therapy is beautiful. Therapy does not always have to be super serious. Therapy is also a place to celebrate mm. and to experience joy and to have moments of relief. And sometimes relief and release will come out as humor as well and so i think just allowing what comes naturally to come and not shy away from from it being funny and sometimes if there's a situation that's happening with a client and there's a sitcom that i'm pretty sure they've watched i will use those episodes and be like do you remember when ross and rachel did this or like (laughs) how i met your mother and they will just love it because guess what they're going to think about next time So also using humor and comedy and sometimes even media to bring in and make things more tangible, I think is really significant. There's one thing telling your client something, another getting them to experience it in that moment. And humor is such a great way to have like that full body experience. Yeah, I think there's no better replacement to help boost your mood and like your dopamine levels than than, uh, than humor or laughter. you know, and it's funny, you, you bring up the whole Ross and Rachel, for those of you who don't, uh, who don't know what that is, you can stop listening to my podcast immediately. No, I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, but it's a reference from the show Friends. And, um, but I know for me, if I'm having like a bad day, like I will watch, like I, I love like Kevin Hart's comedy and I will like put on like one of his standups, right? Or something mm-hmm. similar, Dave Chappelle or something that I can just know that like, I'll laugh or I'll smile or I'll, I mean, because mm-hmm. I think, it's important. And I think, again, this, the reason I asked this is because I knew this about you from researching you is it, it goes back to 
you and who you are internally and that how humor has helped you in your own journey, your own healing. Mm. And so you're able to, to teach that to your clients. Like I only think we can go as, I mean, we can teach somebody as far as we've gone. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, being able to use the lessons you've learned in your own adversity to then teach the people that are going through the same thing is something that's extremely magical and powerful. So we've covered a lot of ground today. We've covered obviously a bit about your approach, um, kind of how you got into it. We talked about fitness. We talked about some buzzwords. Um, and then also, you know, the stigma and shame around therapy. So the last thing I kind of want to ask you is mm-hmm. imagine you have a, a client um, that's kind of down and out. Maybe they've come to you and they're like, you know, Sarah or millennial therapist or whatever people call you. <laughs> They don't call you. They call me Sarah. I know they don't walk in. They don't walk in. They're like, "Hey, at Millennial Therapist, I'm ready for my no, session." It's I'm joking. It's not my name now. It's like, wait, no, it's Sarah. Like people never <laughs> refer to me by my name. It's just my Instagram handle. It's hilarious. How did you come? How did you come up with that, by the way? Um, a lot of brainstorming and sitting there and being like, "Okay, I I want to work with some millennials." Okay, I I travel a lot. I have an unusual. Mm approach okay and like literally talking to my family and i think we like collaborative someone said like hey like why not millennial therapist i actually think like my partner said that he's like why not the millennial therapist and so i don't want to give him full credit because i think he was collaborative but arguably he definitely (laughs) had some and it was just because i that is the population i really feel passionately about working i am a millennial i feel like i really resonate with what they're going through and i want them i wanted that to be clear that this was a space for them and anyone else that resonates but i that's kind of the mindset at the start that's that's all yeah i'm always intrigued like how people find their name like i know obviously like somebody else who's big in this space is like the holistic psychologist and like, yeah. how, like i've never spoken to her but like wondering how she came she's amazing yeah yeah <laughs> she's awesome right and like but it's like people like her people like you that again are changing the conversations and 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 here here's the the, the last thing i'll say i don't want to go down to the rabbit hole because um i want to get this question that you're making it easily digestible for people to understand what things are like the way you describe gaslighting and boundaries and people pleasing and inner, which can be quote like scary terms. You're like gaslighting. What the hell? Yeah. Or you're like boundary. Uh, you know, being mm. able to make it in a way that the, the average person can get on Instagram or get on your website or whatever and say, Oh, okay. I understand that is, is what millennials need. Right. Mm. Mm. So, getting back to my original question. So say like somebody comes into your office and they're like, Hey Sarah, you know, I haven't been able to get out of bed for three weeks. I've recently lost my job. I am extremely depressed. My relationship, um, you know, with my spouse is suffering my relationship with myself, my relationship, with my girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it is. I don't even know what I want to do anymore. What would be like something you would tell them? Not necessarily mm-hmm. to motivate them to change, because we all know that's not the answer. But mm. what would you tell somebody who's kind of somebody who's going through that? Um, I. That's a great question. Sorry, I'm giving you I a lot. Of, I'm giving you a lot of loaded questions. I'm sorry. No, no, I, I see that. No, it's <laughs> great. Getting me to think really early in the morning. Um, hopefully, my thoughts can be translated into words. Um. I think sometimes individuals are going through so much 
for example, that individual you just described to me, they don't necessarily want a, maybe it's not the time for a solution. Mm. Maybe it's a time to hold and honor what they're going through and just sit with them in it. Allow them to come to a place where they fully accept what's happening for them um, and where they can offer themselves grace. Mm. I think when we try to move to the solution part of it, without any grace, without any acceptance, it's almost like we're running away from shame. We're running away from this brokenness. And I don't think healing is necessarily running away. I think there has to be this understanding and honoring of what is. And sometimes at the very start, people just want that. They want someone to connect with and someone that actually understands how hard it is. Because unless they feel like you understand what they're going through, if you give them a solution, it's not going to be valid. Mm. It'd be like someone giving me an answer to a math question they haven't even looked at. <laughs> 42. Great. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and so I think a lot of the time I, I would really help the individual go, okay, can you feel grace for yourself? Can you feel that acceptance? Can you hold it? Can you honor it? How do you feel about it? Um, and then we can talk about one thing that I think really helps, especially with the depression pieces, what value can you still connect to? How can you practice connecting to that value throughout the day? And so little, very little tangible things where they can feel that sense of vitality or empowerment of movement is what mm -hmm. I would say within themselves. And sometimes just connecting to a funny TV clip or to their value of humor or to their value of physical touch can make all the difference, but they just didn't think of it. When you're that low, sometimes you don't go, hey, okay, like I need to connect to a value. It's hard to do that. And so you need to go, I'm doing this because I want to feel better and because it's growth. And so I'm going to practice connecting to one value today. And I love that advice because I think the ability to just sit there and listen is important and to have empathy and compassion and not try to just fix every i mean i know that's one thing i'm always trying to work on is as, as guys we're like the fixers right and just sometimes mm -hmm. just getting better just like kind of listening um so i absolutely love that advice so where can people find out more about you obviously you're at millennial dot therapist right on instagram or at millennial therapist yes. Millennial dot therapist. Yes. So. I think there isn't a millennial therapist there too, but I'm the dot. <laughs> okay. And then you're um, at Sarah Kubrick or Sarah slash Kubrick.com, right? Yeah. yeah dot com. Um, and I'm actually launching a um, life coaching service in about a week. And so that's going to awesome. be the millennial life coach. Um, and so that's going to be the other spinoff from therapy for people that want to optimize uh, the way that they function in relationships with themselves. And so that's going to be another website, um, Millennial Life Coach, where you'll be able to find me in about a week. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I will definitely put all this stuff in the show notes. And I so appreciate you taking the time to come on. Folks, if you're listening to this, I really encourage you, um, like a lot of the other episodes, take out a pen and paper and just take notes of a lot of the advice that Sarah said, because it's super um, it's easy to apply and just take, take like one or two things and say, you know what, like I'm going to implement this stuff and change the way I handle boundaries or change the way I handle when I'm, um, approaching things with finding a therapist or whatever the case may be. Um, and so Sarah, thanks again. You're welcome. Thank you for having me and asking these great questions. 
Yeah, yeah, no problem. Hopefully, I was able to to crack you up a little bit and not just ask the traditional the traditional questions. You sure were. Sure. All right, cool. <laughs> well, you know, once again, if this if this episode resonated with you, please reach out um, to myself or Sarah and leave a review. We would love to hear from you and love to hear your thoughts on it. And once again, um, you're listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we will see you next time.